Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, March 27, 2017. And today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 18, starting with paragraph 4 for context and focusing our discussion on paragraph 5. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Sarah S., the 12 Traditions, Marietta P., reading the text today, Judy S., Lisa B., and Carmela G. The reference number for yesterday, Sunday, March 26, 2017, is 9765, 9765. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah S. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Sarah S. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Sarah S. from Maine. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe the power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah S. 
I will now ask Marietta P. to please read the 12 traditions. Hi, it's Marietta from P. from Virginia, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is that one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions. Ever remind us place principles before personalities. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Marietta P. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And that would include all folks that are muting their own personal phone because it still interferes. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 18 starting with paragraph four for context, and I will ask Judy S. to begin our study. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Melody. M- Melanie. My name is Judy S., and um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from upstate New York. But the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. That the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty, that he obviously knows what he is talking about, 
that his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect that he is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing whatever except the sincere desire to be helpful, that there are no fees to pay, no axes to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are the conditions we have found most effective. After such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. So, um, once again, I'm Judy S. from upstate New York, a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, I, I, have, I have taken up my bed and walked again. Um, my life at this point is better than I ever thought it could be or would be. Um, at the age of 60 (laughs) because, you know, my whole life I spent um, compulsively overeating and hovering between two and 300 pounds. Um, And that I came into this room and I saw these people, I experienced that the only, they they had the sincere desire to be helpful. Um, And I heard people in the first meetings face-to-face meetings I attended, I heard the, the, the real answer. I heard that they didn't want to eat compulsively anymore, that they, there, was something, there was something there. Um, and in this paragraph that, that these people, that there, was, there were no fees, I mean, this was free, that was amazing to me. Um, and, and that I didn't have to please anybody. I mean, I remember when I was in relapse, going into the rooms and just being, you know, I mean, my energy was such that I was just peeved off at the world, you know, just really angry and just sat there because I didn't want to be at that meeting. And my spouse lovingly encouraged me to go. And I did it to please her, thinking that would please her. And then I just sat in the meeting like a big old grouch and, you know, spiteful. And, you know, it was, uh, it was just, I can remember how uncomfortable I was. And it was, it was just, um, but I, you know, I, there are no people to please. You have to want to do it. And then you have to do it. Um, you know, uh, I remember at times, when I first got abstinent, I did have that attitude of holier than thou. And thank goodness I wasn't sponsoring, you know. Um, It took a while for me to, you know, just realize I'm just another bozo on the bus. I love that expression because it's so, so incredibly true. I am no better than, I am no worse than anybody else. You know, um, I, I truly believe as humans, we're all spiritually sick, just running around in this world doing our best. And some of us have a program and some of us don't. And some of us, you know, and it's, yeah. So, you know, people don't lecture me. Um, You know, and here it says, these are the conditions we found most effective. So if you're not doing these things when, you know, in the program, once you're recovered um, to help others, you're not going to be effective. So I think that's a really important word in this paragraph to remember that to be effective, this is what we have to do. And they're just listed right here. And with that, I pass. Thank you.
Thank you, Judy S., for your comment. Is there anyone else that would like to comment on paragraph five? This is Larry. Hi, Larry. Chrissy G. Chrissy G. Rivka A. Rivka. Jan Janice M. Janice. Melissa C. Melissa. Anyone else? Nice group. Thank you so much. This is what I have. Larry K., Chrissy G., Rivka A., Janice M., and Melissa C. Good morning, Larry. Good Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you. Okay, good. Thanks for that. You know, when I, when I first um, had the opportunity to speak to a, to a man in whom the problem had been solved, you know, there was an opportunity and, you know, perhaps for the first time in my life to really listen in a way that I had never listened before. And, and this guy was somehow different than all those who had tried to reach me before. Um, he had no agenda, no attitude of holier than thou. You know, the, he, all he wanted to do was sincerely to be helpful. And, you know, my family wanted me to change for their sake so, so that I would behave in a, a way that was acceptable to them. My friends wanted, you know, their friend back. They wanted someone who could, you know, be present for them. My spouse, you know, she needed me to be a real partner. My therapist was being paid, as was my trainer. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that these motives were not reasonable. They were. They were justified. They were good. And I'm not suggesting that these people were selfish. They weren't. Yet I'm suggesting that when we have a motive beyond pure altruism, it certainly changes the relational dynamic, right? And so I meet a person who's armed with the facts about himself. He knows, he's, he knows what he's talking about. He's been through it. He's lived it. He used to eat himself into oblivion like me and make uh, promises to himself and others like me. And, but he wasn't doing that anymore. You know, and, um, you know, I, 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 I don't want to kid, let's not kid ourselves. In OA today, there are, in my opinion, relatively few people, lots of people, but relatively few that are carrying a message of depth and weight born, born out of such a transformation. And why is that? Well, and again, I don't speak for OA or anybody else other than me, but, but here's an example of why. You, know, you have one person who has been cured of stage four cancer, and he didn't cure himself. He didn't, he didn't, his, he didn't cure his abnormal cells with his own abnormal cells. He, he was saved by following a protocol of treatment. You may say it was divine. I think so, but, but he was saved. And you have someone else who's just been diagnosed with the same stage four cancer, you know, the, you know and, and, and the guy who survived, he can talk turkey. He, he's alive today. He can tell what it was like, what, what he did, and what it's like today. In a way, we have a lot of people who are, are in temporary remission, and their lives are much better, but they're not going to be talking to someone else about, uh, they're, gonna, they're not going to be talking about a complete spiritual transformation because they haven't had one. And they're not bad people because they haven't had one. They just haven't. So they're going to carry a message that's different than a message, the message that was carried to me by, by one person in whom, you know, he had a complete spiritual transformation. You know, the message he carried to me was different. If, I, if I'm someone um, with temporary sobriety, I'm going to talk about lots of different things, wrapping up here. Um, but I'm not going to talk about a, 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 a spiritual transformation as a result of these steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Chrissy G? Yeah, hi, I'm Chrissy G. I'm a recovered compulsive reader and anorexic from New Jersey. 
And um, what I heard early on when I came into 12-step programs was that we we think we're terminally unique and it it will be the thing that really brings us to our to our end that I can identify with the people in the rooms would keep me continuing on in the disease. I'm somehow different. And the the kind of identification that happens when someone has really been where I've been and felt what I've felt in the disease breaks, it just completely shatters any any isolation. And that to me is there, there's a there's a lot of components, a lot of qualities that we need in order to recover. But breaking out from isolation is definitely a, a huge one. And it, the first identification that happens with a person who's an addict, when I know that you know my thoughts, and especially the first time that I heard someone speak the truth about the disease, I remember thinking, oh my God, like they're reading my mind. It was eerie because I never thought you don't walk around hearing people talk like that. And the first time I heard someone honestly share about the powerlessness they felt over the disease and how they they did things that they weren't proud of because of the compulsion to overeat or undereat or overexercise. You know, just um, one one time I remember babysitting for these little babies and I was just so annoyed that they kept on interrupting my binging, you know, because they needed to be cared for. And just the, the shame and humiliation of that and never thinking I'd be able to share that with someone and having someone share that with me first and then being able to share it just completely demolished the isolation. And that for me is the first step to be brought into, into recovery and health. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Chrissy G. Rivka A, star one. Rivka A, star one. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? This is Rivka. Thank you so very much. Thank you for your service. Um, This is Rivka A from Israel speaking. And hello and good morning to everyone out there. you know, I was looking at uh, the line that says that the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty. You know, I don't know how anybody that hasn't had the difficulty can even begin to communicate or to approach someone who is, who is in a lot of pain, emotional, physical, and spiritual pain, uh, who has felt that rejection, who has felt abandonment who has felt or experienced um, a lot of calamity, um, rejection and, uh, you know, abuse, verbal, physical abuse. Um, you know, I, I come from that. I, I came from that. Um, you know, and I'm so grateful for these steps, especially in the way of showing me. And I'm, I'm learning on a daily basis. This is not an overnighter for me. But I'm, I'm learning, listeners, that this is one of working the steps uh, moment by moment. Um, there are mistakes that I make. I'm not perfect. 
but I'm grateful for this death. And it has taught me about love and tolerance. And to be helpful is to understand and know what it means to be loving and tolerant. And, and it has to begin within me and with a power greater than myself to show me where I need to uh, learn love and tolerance because I wasn't very kind-hearted to myself to begin with. And then that kind of spilled over into my relationships, uh, my personal relationships, my intimate relationships. And an intimate, intimate relationship does not mean um, to have that kind of deep, close, uh, love relationship like, you know, between husband and wife. I'm not talking about that. Just knowing how to communicate on, on an honest level. So I'm grateful that, um, you know, we. my understanding is you don't kick your wounded under the bus. You approach someone who's an OA compulsive overeater, um, you have a message. I have a message. We have a message of hope, uh, the solution. To, to our problem, and that showing love and tolerance and not kicking them out of your life, like, oh, you're not getting it yet, you know, you're not willing, you're not ready yet. Um, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that kind of approach or work with another compulsive overeater. I feel like, you know, we've all made mistakes. We are trying. If we're willing, if the key of willingness is there, there's hope. <laughs> There is hope. And for me to learn to be loving and tolerant during that process and walk along as a friend and give understanding of what that friend means to have that fellowship with them, that's so deeply important. And thank you so much for listening. With that, I pass. Thank you, Rivka A. Janice M., you're next. Well, good morning to you, Melanie, and everyone. My name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. You can put in the, this paragraph, paragraph five, that this is what you look for in a sponsor. This is a guide. This is going to tell you, you know, this is the person, this is the member of OA that has had, like it was said, a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We're not in the process. We're not in the process. We're not in step three. We're not in step five. We're, we have had a spiritual awakening. Now we can approach somebody because it's the end of the story. This is the result. Isn't this why we're here? <laughs> this is the purpose. The purpose is to get a result, to have a relationship with someone, a power greater than ourselves. Okay. So now we, we're not doing this for money. We're not doing this for fame. We're not doing this because we're so wonderful. Oh, we're so successful because, first of all, it's not even my success. Yeah, I maybe did 1%, but this is a gift given to me. This is what I have to remember, you know. Um, it's not something that I did on my own because if I could, I would have, and I'm not, you know. I was a very sick lady. You know, my attitude was very poor. Uh, my energy was very, very nil. Um, I was not well. I wasn't well. But when I received the spiritual awakening, I became well, not cured, not cured. So I love what it says here. These conditions we talked about, we have an illness, okay? We have an illness, physical, mental, and spiritual. But I love the line, after such an approach. That means after, you know, the guide has taken us through these 12 steps, 
many take up their beds and walk again. Well, you know, when I was eating and drinking and gambling and whatever, um, I was on anesthesia. Can you walk under anesthesia? I couldn't, (laughs) if you've ever had it. Um, You know, I was always in bed. I was always, oh, I have to get up today. It was like, you know, this and that. We know how the problem was. But, you know, when I hear somebody say, you know, I don't do that. I'm retired today, and I'm up at quarter of five. Why? Because I have to do certain things before the meeting, and this is my life today. And I can walk, and I can travel. And, you know, I'm not a young woman, and neither is my husband. But this, these are signals. These are signals for what to come for all of us. This is progress. This is change. This is my life is so different today than it ever was. Yes, I did pick up my bed and I'm walking and I'm trudging along with you. And with that, I pass. Thanks. We don't hear you, Mel. Hi, thank you so much, Janice. And now it's Melissa C's turn. Hi, good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, I just, um, I, for years and years, probably like everybody else, I threw money at this problem. And, you know, it seemed like everybody um, in the outside world was really happy to make a profit off of um, my suffering and misery. And, um, and I, you know, and there's no, um, you turn on the TV, you open up a magazine, there's a million ads for a million schemes um, that are probably raking in a million bucks. Um, we're suffering, you know, people are out there suffering and, um, and desperate. And that's how I was. And so I spent a lot of money on ridiculous things, and, you know, none of those people that I came across um, had this sincere desire to be helpful. I mean, that's just the truth. They, um, you know, they had this sincere desire to make money. They had this sincere desire to maybe have a big ego. Maybe somewhere there was a desire in some of them to be helpful. Um, You know, and, and the people in my life that did want to be helpful to me, the problem hadn't been solved in them. They didn't have the solution. Many of them didn't have the problem. And so the, what they offered me was some lectures, you know, things that I already knew. Um, I didn't need to be told that I had gained a lot of weight. I just needed to look in the mirror. Um, and I didn't need to be told that it was unhealthy. I was intelligent, you know. When I came into OA, um, I was greeted with people um, – who really just had a sincere desire to be helpful and um, and just, you know, and whom the problem had been solved. They themselves had been freed. You know, they suffered from what I suffered from, and they were no longer suffering. And, um, you know, and so when I speak to people, when I work with people, um, you know, I feel like I'm growing in this, in this um, part of my recovery because, Maybe initially my ego was a little bit tied in. I yes, I wanted to be helpful, but I really wanted you to recover so I could feel really good too. Um, and and I um, thank God, you know, God taught me. I, I'm not in charge of um, anyone else's recovery. I can just 
kind of show them what I've been doing and what works for me. And so, you know, today I just really want to be helpful. And if they're able to receive a piece of something from me and it's useful, awesome. And if not, that's okay. You know, there's a nut for every screw and there's someone else out there. Um, but we can continue to be, you know, loving in the fellowship together. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. So, okay, we are on page 18. We read paragraph four for context, and we are focusing our discussion now on paragraph five for those that have just come into the meeting. And I'm going to open it up again for some that would like to continue discussion on this. Who would that be? Lisa B. Kim L. Kim L. I do. Lisa B. I did get you, Lisa. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Lisa O. Lynn F. Anyone else? Okay, this is what I have. Carolyn B. Hi, Carolyn. And did I say Elaine? Here, Elaine B. Yes. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay, let's go with that. Stop right there, please. So I have um, Lisa B. Kim G. Do L. Vasa O. Lynn S. Carolyn S. H. And Elaine B. Good group. Thanks so much. Hi, Lisa. Good morning, Melanie. Can I be heard? You can. Thank you. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, This reading um, speaks to me, and with my own experience I'll share, I really thought that I was just going to have to live my life out. Now what I know is as a middle-of-the-road solution, but I didn't know that that's what it was. I I really did not believe it was possible to be happy and be abstinent and have a solution to life um, in dealing with the ups and downs and not be eating. I just did not believe it was possible. I never met anyone that was living that way. My first experience of my OA meeting was 30 years ago. I sat in the meeting. I did not hear a solution. I did not hear recovery. And you know, I did not choose to go back to OA for a, a very long time, for 30 years, or maybe 28 years. My very first OA experience after that was a vision for you. Through the grace of my higher power, I was led back to OA to a vision for you, and then I heard. I began to hear on this phone line people whose deportment shouts, you know, that there is a solution. And when I look up that word, Deportment, because it's not a word I usually use, it means a person's behaviors or manners. And, you know, the big book tells me that I need to have a personality change. I need to have a profound change in my personality. I need to have a spiritual awakening that will bring about this personality change. And when I heard your voices and I heard the freedom and joy when I started talking with you one-on-one after I introduced myself as a newcomer, to a vision for you, and I got the wonderful phone calls, I eventually met my sponsor. And this is what I heard in her voice, joy. I heard joy in her voice, and she had been abstinent. I talked to another co-fellow that speaks on this line often, and she had been abstinent and recovered for a very long time, maybe a decade. And I couldn't believe I heard joy and freedom. That's what came through the phone line. I heard that they had a solution that was working for them. And my sponsor took me through this big book. And I just need to share, for me, it began with getting entirely abstinent. I had never been entirely abstinent. I let go of a few things here, 
a few things there, maybe the big, the biggies, you know, but I would still hold on to the behavior, or if I went out to restaurants, I was not clean. It really began with what it says in the doctor's opinion, getting entirely abstinent, and then working with a recovered sponsor. I've had sponsors in other fellowships, but, you know, they weren't really recovered. They had maybe spiritual awarenesses or something that worked for them, and I don't want to take their inventory. But I just did not want to settle for maybe being a little bit okay, you know, um, and white-knuckling it. I just didn't. So now I am recovered. I did, gratefully, by um, my higher powers, Grace, and this 12-step program laid out in this big book, Get Up and Walk Again. And now I carry this message, and I need to be reminded that my purpose is to be useful to be helpful, to be kind, to be useful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Kim G., you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. But the man who's making the approach, and I, and I want to kind of look at this from a different angle. Let's look at our meetings. But the meeting that is making the approach, and I want to kind of compare, you know, what are our meetings offering? You know, am I all, is our meetings offering a real answer or are we only offering a temporary respite? Are we effective in our meetings or are we asking our members recovering or is it constant relapse? Is the whole deportment of the meeting, how does that look like? I don't know about you, but many times I go into an LA meeting and if you come in 10 minutes late, you would have no idea it was a false step meeting. You would think it's group therapy because all you hear about is people complaining about their, their kids and their husbands and their jobs. You know, when you look at that, that, what that approach is, let's look at our formats. Are our formats supporting disease or are our formats supporting recovery? You know, the person knows that he's talking about. Is our meetings, are our meetings offering the allergy to the body, the mental twist? as our problem, or is our meetings offering that food and weight is our problem? You know, there's no attitude of holier than now. Is there humility in the meeting? You know, I love the saying that honesty without compassion is cruel, but compassion without honesty kills. In my personal experience, again, in a lot of Overeaters Anonymous meetings, we'll love you until you love yourself. Really, just we'll love you until you die, because we're not telling the truth in the meetings. So when we hear, you know, well, that person left, they didn't want it enough, let's ask ourselves, are our meetings offering them a clear description of the problem, a clear, clear description of the solution, and a clear description of what the program of action is? Because maybe it isn't that they wanted enough. They didn't want it enough. Maybe we're not offering a real answer. Maybe what we're offering isn't effective. Maybe our whole department isn't shouting that there's a real answer. Maybe we don't know what we're talking about because we're not properly armed with the facts about ourselves. So how can we offer that to the newcomer? So I just want to give that a different perspective. Let's look at what our meetings are offering, our inner groups are offering, and we as individual offerings. And each of it starts with individually, we have to put down the food, work these steps, recover, and turn around and help the next suffering compulsive reader do the same. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Do L, you're next. Good morning. This is Do Recover Compulsive Reader from New York, and so grateful to be here. Um, I just wanted to attest to, you know, the man 
who is making the approach has had the same difficulties. And he knows, he knows what he's talking about, and he has a real answer. And um, when I went to the LA birthday, I heard this little story that I want to share with with the group. And it was about this man who's walking along the street, and he falls into this hole. And he falls into the hole, and he starts to yell out for help. And he's like, "Help! Help! Help!" And um, and then uh, a doctor walks by, and he hears the man, and he writes a prescription, and he throws it down the hole. And the man gets the prescription, and he's like, well, this is not going to help me. Um, what, what am I going to do with a prescription down here? And so he, he yells again, help, help, help. <clears throat> and then uh, a, a priest passed by, and he hears the man, and he writes down a prayer, and he sends it down the hole. And uh, the man sees the prayer, he sees the, the inscription, but he's like, this is not going to really help me. You know, I, I got to keep asking for help. And he yells again, help, help, help. And then um, a man that's walking by, he actually hears a man and he jumps down the hole. And the man that's down there, he's like surprised that this man <laughs> has jumped down the hole. And he's like, well, what, what did you do? Why would you do something crazy like that? You know, now we're both stuck down here. And the man turns to the other man. He says, don't worry about it. He says, I've been here before and I know the way out. And that's the man that has the real answer. This is not about just getting given ingredients, right? But it's about putting the recipe together. And so a lot of us can be given uh, prescription, uh, prescriptions or ingredients. But if we don't have the way to put the recipe together, if we don't have the, the guidance of how to actually administer that recipe, that, that prescription, and how to use it, you know, and, and show us exactly the way how to use it, then we're still stuck in the hole. You know, and I love this because it really emphasizes that somebody that knows the answer, knows how to walk the walk and talk the talk. And knows how to follow the instructions that are given to get out out and have the solution. And I, I thought that that story was wonderful because it talks about restorative um, um, power. And it talks about the promise of the recovered person who has been restored back to life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Du L. Dasa O. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Melanie, for your service, and I'm grateful, recovered, compulsive reader calling from Florida. And this is just a beautiful paragraph that the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulties, that he obviously knows what he is talking about. And I needed to find somebody like that that I could identify um, and, like, and then come. my sponsor brought me in the program and, you know, of course, I knew her pain and suffering because we used to be eating buddies for a long time, and she found the solution, and then she came to me and passed it on. And But I was so ready, and I was willing to hear the message. And then the instructions are right, right there. I mean, even going to the meetings, you know, going to Overeaters Anonymous, you know, that we read how the program works. And it talks about the tools. No, the tools don't make me, they don't keep me abstinent, you know. 
my higher power keeps me after and and then working the 12 steps. You know, I mean, I've been there. I stood there for a long time, you know, and I'm saying to myself, why aren't these people getting it, you know? Why, you know? I don't understand, and I do share my message. You know, people don't want to hear it. Maybe they're not ready. Well, then, you know, I guess my I was ready. I was ready to hear it and to do it, and I love this part here that there are no fees to pay, no access to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are the conditions we have found most effective. After such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. You know, hey, I didn't want to die. So I wanted to live, and I took the instructions, and I wanted to, you know, Yes, I did not know about a lot of stuff, but once I learned, then I said, oh, okay, at least I know now. I have a disease, and I have an allergy, the body allergy. I have that mental obsession, but here these people are telling me what to do about it, not to stay into it, and the first thing was for me, okay, put those foods down that make you sick, you know, that, you know the allergy foods. And and then start working the steps, you know. And that was one of the hardest things I had ever done in my life. How could I live with those foods, not to eat those foods for the rest of my life, you know? And my sponsor, no, we just do this one day at a time. And we do the recovery one day at a time. The steps, the way they are laid out. And we, we don't graduate. So we go through the steps, and then we go back again, you know. That again, studying the steps all over again. And it's a lifelong process, but my lifelong process has been better and better and better over the years. I mean, it's not just being abstinent. That's just the beginning. That's only the beginning of my abstinence. And I'm grateful I did hear it was a spiritual experience when I was not religious. And I needed to find a power greater than myself. I couldn't be abstinent by myself and nobody could make me abstinent, and I cannot make anybody abstinent. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Carolyn S.H. Hi, yes, good morning. Am I unmuted? You are. Excellent. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everybody. Um, Carolyn S.H., grateful, recovered, compulsive eater in Massachusetts. And um, I'm going to set my timer. Um, And I might even share much less than three minutes. I just wanted to say two things on this uh, no attitude of holier than thou. Um, What struck me um, this morning about that is um, I can come from a place, like when I'm talking to um, to someone who's uh, working the beginning steps or, um, you know, someone who's called me for outreach or whatever, um, sometimes it's really interesting. I've observed myself, and I can I can come from that place. And when I'm coming from a place of holier than thou, what's really underneath it is a fear, is a fear of not um, a fear of not having the answer, right? And when I let go, like the 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 beauty of um, being connected to people in this program, um, wherever everyone is on their journey, um, is uh, it gives you an opportunity to let go and let go of the fear 
and drop down into deeper and deeper dependency on higher power and deeper and deeper, just, um, you know, not uh, letting go of self-will. Um, and uh, it, and you can tell, like I can tell when I'm speaking to someone else what, what attitude they're coming from, right? If they're coming from, I'm really just having let go and being connected to their higher power. Um, and those are the people who I get the most out of. And, and um, oh, and the other thing I wanted to say is, like, when I'm speaking, uh, I can tell when I'm coming from a holier-than-mouth, I feel like I'm telling someone as opposed to sharing. Um, it was recently brought to my attention the difference between those two words, um, and it's sharing that we do here with each other. Nobody tells anyone any, anything. And when I'm trying to tell somebody something, um, it really, if I check in with myself, it really doesn't feel good. It's not um, what I'm meant to be doing. Um, yeah, and that's really all I want to say. All right, thank you. That is all. Thank you, Carolyn S.H. Elaine B. Thank you so much for your service, Melanie. This is Elaine B. Recovered in Massachusetts. Can I be heard? You can. Come on in. Excellent. Thank you. So um, I just was reflecting on, uh, there's a story that this line, um, many take up their beds and walk again, uh, refers to. And in that situation, it was someone who had given up, just like me, absolutely hopeless. You know, I had a sister who was bulimic, another sister who was anorexic, hospitalized for anorexia, and I was just fat. And um, I didn't have hope. I did wander into the rooms of OA. And maybe they carried the message, but I couldn't hear it. It wasn't, it, it, you know, I just couldn't hear it. I wasn't ready, I guess. I don't know. But, um, but when I did, when I was ready, I didn't know where to go. I went back to OA, and I gave it a try. And um, in, this, in this story, a man who had been given up and, and just stuck in, in his disease was approached by somebody with some good news that, that maybe he didn't have to stay that way. And he was asked a question. He said, do you want to get better? Do you want to get well? And, you know, that really is the question. <laughs> do I want to get well? Do I want to do what it takes? Do I, want to, um, do I want to pick up my bed and walk again? What does that mean? It means the action is up to me. The decision is up to me. That I'm the one who's going to have to pick up the spiritual toolkit that I'm the one who I may have not have to pay fees or have access to grind and, you know, I don't have to endure lectures, but I do have to pick up this spiritual toolkit. I do have to identify my alcoholic foods and make a commitment to stop eating them. I need to accept the fact that I can never eat them safely again. I need to, um, to begin to find somebody a way to get the instructions that are needed, which are laid out so beautifully in this book and so effectively that they've never been changed since they were written nearly a hundred years ago, um, 1959. I don't know, um, maybe not quite a hundred years ago, but nonetheless, you know, the instructions don't change because they don't need to. And once we pick up uh, our beds and walk, we once we learn this design for living that really works, once we um, turn our, our food over to a power greater than ourselves that's instructed, instructed in these steps, we learn that we can manage all of the problems that we have in life. And then we have a commitment, we have a responsibility 
to be out there, to ask the same question of others. Do you want to get well? We have good news. It can happen, but it is going to take some work on your part. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Elaine B. We have time for two more that want to comment on this paragraph, number five on page 18. Who would like to take that spot or those spots? Renee C. Okay, I have the two. Lynn, did I miss you? Yeah. I need to back up. My apologies. Um, I will go then, Nessa, my apologies then to you. I'll go with Lynn because you were on my list, and then Renee C. And we'll close out with that. Thanks so much. My apologies. Thank you, Melanie C. Good morning. Mm -hmm. Lynn S., a recovering compulsive order eater from Toronto, Canada. This is really speaking to me. Nothing, whatever, except the sincere desire to be helpful, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. Brought back a memory where I had seen someone in a coffee shop who was a member of OA. I don't remember if I knew that because I had seen her once or if she was reading OA literature or whatever, but we struck up a conversation. And I was on a roll. I was on fire. I was giving her everything I had. And somehow it came up, you know, where she almost indicated like enough is enough. And, and, I, and she said to me, I believe you're trying to be helpful. And that really struck me. And I, and I just was thinking over the years, and even if I didn't say it, over the years I know there was a holier than thou. Like, I've got this thing. Why can't you people get it? Here it is. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, that was coming up. Let me tell you again. Maybe you didn't hear it. So I'd launch into it all again. And if you'd asked me, I would have said, well, I'm really trying to be helpful. But I realized, of, of course I wasn't. I mean, and, and this is the deportment they're talking about, but it's just coming to me now. I was really doing it in such a selfish and self-centered way because I was trying to protect myself. Like, these people have to get it because if they don't get it, you know, I'm not going to be safe. And it just reminds me now when I'm speaking to other people, this is such a fantastic paragraph to remember. It's only a sincere desire to be helpful. And yes, I am passionate. How can you not be when I've been able to, that, that didn't come out right, when the weight has come off, for some reason, 140 pounds has left me since 1989 and not come back again, even in relapse. Like, what a gift from God. I'm, I'm so grateful. It's come off without dieting. It's come out without restricting. It's come off by, by working the steps and putting down my binge foods and my binge behavior and the desire to, to eat like that and to eat those foods has been lifted. It's such a gift. And that's what I want to share with people. And, yes, I'm passionate about it, but tone it down, Lynn, because you're browbeating people, you're lecturing people. And I've also been on the receiving end of that, and, and I, I don't like it. I don't like it either. So it's such a great reminder to me that it's a sincere desire to be helpful. I can share my experience, strength, and hope, and hopefully something in that might touch someone else. And that's the best thing I can remember is this deportment. I want to be effective. I want to help people. Here it is right here in black and white. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lynn S. Renee C. Hello. Star One, Renee. Hi, Renee. Hi there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I was unmuting. 
Thank you, Melanie, so much, and thanks to all that have shared and for this incredibly divinely inspired big book that we read. His whole deportment shouts at the new prospect that he is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than now, nothing whatever except the sincere desire to be helpful. And then later on, after such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. You know, I've been in OA for many, many years, and I've run the gamut of thinking I would never get it, and I didn't for many years, thinking that I was holier than now, and why couldn't other people get what I had, and wasn't I wonderful, and that led ultimately to a relapse. And the realization that, um, you know, my purpose in this program is to be of maximum use to God and to my fellows, period, end of story, and to shout the deportment that there is an answer, there is a solution, and the solution is in this book. The solution are the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous. And that is really the message that I need to carry. I am working the steps like my hair's on fire, as we say, um, just have started my ninth step and very grateful. It didn't quite go the way that I wanted it to go, but it went the way it was supposed to go. And uh, I am just so incredibly grateful for these steps, and I pray that I can be of maximum usefulness to my fellows and to the higher power that has given me this beautiful gift. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Renee C., it looks like there might be two more minutes. If someone would like to take those two minutes, press star one. Nessa R. Hi, Nessa. There you are. Thank you. I've got two minutes for you. Oh, thanks so much. So, Nessa uh, R. Recovering from Canada. Um, when one is diagnosed with a serious illness, especially a fatal illness, let's say like cancer, and they they seek out the experts. And not just any expert, but probably the best in the field. And they follow whatever uh, instructions they are given without um, putting in their two cents. Without saying, well, you know, maybe I'm going to do half of the chemo. And maybe, you know, like today I'll go to radiation and maybe I'll go to radiation again next year. You know, no, we don't do that. We, we do, the person does whatever it is that the person is told. And they don't just find a, another, a doctor who will teach them how to live with the cancer. They will find a doctor who will help them um, eradicate the cancer. And I don't see it any different in the rooms of OA, although for some reason, um, myself included, at the beginning, don't seem to take it as seriously. We don't view this as a fatal illness. You know, any illness, you know, cancer, diabetes, they are fatal. Um, and so this one, this one won't kill us instantaneously, but neither will cancer or diabetes. So why do we treat it differently? And so you have to find the expert, and the experts are those people who have recovered from the seemingly uh, hopeless state of mind and body. People in the problem have been solved. People who... who um, have, um, the, for whom the food is no longer the solution, where there's no longer um, a call to them, not even on the radar screen. Uh, I'm not looking for a sponsor who will um, teach me how to live 
fat and happy forever. Um, that is not the answer. Um, I have to apply the same alacrity that I would apply if, God forbid, I was diagnosed with another dreadful illness because this is a dreadful illness. And so if I don't, if I don't get the sick, take the best expert I can and employ the best medicine I can, which is this 12 steps, then what am I doing here? And we got to pass. Thank you. And thank you, Nessa R., for your comment. And this brings us to the close of this first hour study. And thank you to all that who shared today. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing today. And the share ID for Monday, March 27th, 2017, today is 9767. 9767. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, and we'll follow that with the serenity prayer. Will Lisa B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Melanie. This is Lisa B. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.